Buenas and half a day to our listeners on Guam and in the CNMI. It's now time for Total Health right here on Joy FM Radio, where your questions get answered by health professionals. If you have any health-related questions, we would love to hear from you. Call your questions and comments in at 472-1111 or text or WhatsApp 686-9999. If you're in the CNMI, please call 323-1113. Welcome, everybody, to Total Health. Hi, and welcome to Total Health Live. My name is Rose Trina, and I'm here in the studio today with Dr. Jonathan Thorpe, uh, internal medicine, and Elena Tanova, nurse practitioner. And today's topic is cancer. Yes, I was very excited when I uh, heard that Dr. Thorpe is coming back. Sometimes he's coming as a host. Sometimes uh, he's coming as a speaker. And uh, I was looking for a title that would be quite challenging for Dr. Thorpe. Um, But actually, we both agreed to talk about cancer. Let's talk about cancer. Cancer is a topic that kind of, uh, it's not a very easy topic to talk about. And we are certainly very respectful of everybody that is fighting cancer at this moment. But I'm sure that out there, there are many people that have many questions about it. They would like to learn more about it. They would like to know how they can prevent it. Or if somebody is suffering with cancer, they would like to know how we can help them. And so this topic today is dedicated to cancer. You know, the bad and the ugly. Oh my, the bad and the ugly. I think that's a, the dreaded C word goes right along with that. I'd always cringe every time I have to break the news to someone of the bad and the ugly. And I I say um, it's the bad C word. And no one likes to hear that C word. But it's good to be back here today, Elena, with you uh, and Rosetrina, uh, to talk about all things total health and specifically related to uh, cancer. So, uh, you know, it's something that we are seeing a lot of, partly because we have better detection methods. We are catching cancer earlier in many cases. And so the... Uh, cancer in in some sense is becoming more common, but we have to be careful that is it because it's actually occurring more frequently or because we're detecting it earlier. And it, most of the time it comes to the fact that we're detecting cancer earlier. And I'm speaking in generalized broad terms because there are some decreases in the rates of specific cancers over the last few years. Yes, when I was studying, uh, you know, when I was um, starting my career, we we learn in school that if you live long enough, you're going to get a cancer sooner or later. There's so many environmental factors. You know, every day we have uh, damaged cells, not necessarily cancerous cells, but we do have cells that have damaged genes that can become cancerous cells. And here comes our first question. How does it start uh, to have cancer? Does it start from one cell or how, how does it work? Good question. So... Uh, the easiest way to think about cancer is to look at how our cell is made or how our body is made. So we're going to take um, and break it down to the smallest fundamental units uh, in our body and to better understand exactly what is happening. So most of the time, cancers arise because of changes in the expression of our genetic code. So if we take our body, our body is made up of different organs like the liver or the heart, the pancreas, the muscles, all these different organs. Every organ is made up of different tissues and tissues are made up of different cells and cells have different parts within them. It's really amazing to see how God has made us as such an incredible complexity 
And the, the smallest, smaller fundamental unit is the cell, but inside the cell is an inner part called the nucleolus. And inside of that is where the genetic code lives. So just imagine you've taken your house and you've ta- broken down the outer walls, you're breaking down the middle walls, you're breaking down the walls in the uh, room to your bedroom, and now we're in the closet if you want to take that ex- physical structure. And inside that closet, which is called the nucleolus, is where this genetic code lives. And the genetic code is called the DNA. I'm sure that's an, an acronym that many of our listeners are familiar with. And the DNA is, is like a letter. Uh, it's like a, you know, you'd go read a newspaper article. It's like a letter from a loved one. Uh, it's, a, it's a code. And what's fascinating is that these codes express different, um, what we call proteins, uh, or sorry, different codes to build proteins. And the proteins ultimately build the cells and build the, um, which build the tissues, which build our organs and back up to the entire body. So that, that very core fundamental unit is where the errors occur. Now, it can sometimes occur because of uh, problems with the repair mechanism, sometimes the, the spontaneous mutations of the DNA itself um, can be can occur also. So there's many different the, the cancer, the development of cancer is extremely complex and I'm really simplifying it down uh, but the bottom line is that the there is changes in the expression of the code which results in abnormal cells being produced or grown and that is what cancer is. It's when you have abnormal cells that then become somewhat uncontrolled and um, we, you know, we see that uh, these t- these cells take over tissues. These cells um, start to invade other tissues within the body, and that's when the cancer is manifested. And different organs manifest cancer in different ways. So I, I need your help as the host here. I've tried to break down a, a complex topic in a simple way, but please tell me what questions you might have and how can I further answer them, Elena? Um, I have many questions and I'm sure our audience, they have more questions too. But yes, you're right. So cancer starts with just one cell. Correct. And it's, it's the errors in the cellular ex, um, code. The DNA is the most common place where, where cancer begins. Uh, we are soon to go on our break, um, but I can discuss a little bit about the gene P53. Sure. Yes, I really like this uh, analogy as you're saying about the house. So what P53 is the gene, he is the like uh, the guardian of the whole genome. And so he comes at night and he checks if all the genes are in their beds. You know, he starts (laughs) looking around like, let me see, this one is here, this one is here, this one is here too. oh, this one is like repair damage. Let me do something about it. And so he puts every, all the genes in check. But, you know, at some point, um, the genes get upset. Like, who is he? He's all the time checking on us. And if they become more damaged, he is the one that kills those genes. If he sees that one is damaged, he's like, okay, this gene needs to get eliminated because uh, we, we're going to get a cancerous cell. Or he is bringing more proteins that they can repair that gene. And so at some point, the genes, if they become more damaged because of different uh, factors we can talk about, you know, tobacco, alcohol, even weight can uh, contribute to that. If, if we just go against our nature in a long term, um, those genes, they say, okay, we're several and you're just one. We're going to eliminate the P53. 
And the moment that gene is eliminated from the cell, it turns into a cancerous cell. Mm -hmm. And then it starts dividing and dividing and dividing uncontrollably until, you know, um, there is a divine interference and... Yeah, so the, the cells, you know, they have, that has the code, and you're absolutely correct that there is the repair mechanisms. It's really amazing how the cell is able to identify an error has been made, and uh, th there needs to be a repair uh, implemented. Think of the spell check on your computer, so, or a dictionary. You know, the spell check scans the document and says, ah, 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 that little squiggly red line appears <laughs> underneath the word, or on your phones, maybe there's that little line that, that shows up sometimes as a blue line or something, the kind of squiggly line saying, that, that word doesn't look quite right, do you want to double check it? And it kind of draws your attention to that one spot, and then you can go in and fix the spelling on that. That's basically what's happening in the cell, um, and when that fails for multitude of reasons, then you get this, you can develop an, a proliferation of those cells, meaning a growth, abnormal growth and um, division and growth some more of those cells. So um, thankfully, for the most time, you know, these cancer mutations are fixed and we keep on going as if we never, and we don't even know that's happening in, in our cells all the time. And you, you asked earlier, what are some of the risk factors for uh, development yeah. of cancer? The, the risk factors are probably as long as, you know, a magazine is. So, so many different risk factors uh, that can be identified. But the most common risk factors are exposure to radiation. So ionizing radiation is a very harmful um, exposure that people have. Secondly is exposure to chemicals. Um, I think of the many of the petroleum-based products. Um, hydrocarbons is another term we use for them. Uh, that are particularly the place individuals at risk for certain cancers. A lot of the blood cancers come specifically from, from that. You know, burning of tires. Um, tires have, and the tire manufacturers have an increased risk of bladder cancer, for example. Tobacco increases many, many different cancers. Lung cancer, the one that we think of the most commonly, uh, but other cancers also where tobacco is either the leading or a, a key contributing risk factor for the development of it. Um, uh, so we've talked about radiation, we've talked about chemicals, we've talked about tobacco. Um, the exposure to certain, the, the immune suppression in our body is also another risk factor. So uh, some drugs that we have to provide to patients, I'm thinking specifically of drugs that are used to treat some of the rheumatological conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, where we have to shut down the immune system and to, to put it kind of back in check. Well, that, those, that category category of drugs allows the cells to then start proliferating and that is a risk factor in itself. So like I said, there's hundreds and hundreds of risk factors, but the big key ones are kind of the ones I've just mentioned there. Yes. If you're a smoker, you're increasing your chance, according to the American Cancer Society, by 30%. Of so a cancer. If you, yes, yeah. of a cancer. Of Huge risk. Any type of cancer. Correct. Yes, Correct. Particularly testicular, prostate, breast cancer. So there are so many factors and lung cancer, there, and yeah, lung cancer, yeah, and also nutrition is also like emerging. Like we are learning more and more about the free radicals that we are eating, you know, those uh, barbecues that sometimes you know um, <clears throat> we enjoy them. They have so many chemicals in them, as you mentioned. Sometimes well, and it's not only that; is that the, the dry heat that's used to, to um, in barbecuing changes the shape and structure of proteins, which ult ultimately um, results in changes to what's called the epigenetic 
pattern in our body. So not to try to complicate a very complex subject, I'll try to make the analogy like this. The genetic code is like the of love letter from a loved one to you. It's a string of, of letters put together that the body's able to read. If you had a multi-page love letter, you might have a page that's partly turned over and that you don't discover it until later. It's hidden. And then all of a sudden, you discover it a little bit later. And it could be good or bad. It could be, you know, a letter from your loved one saying, well, you know, we got to talk about something or, you know, it's this is something, a problem in our marriage or a relationship. And, and it opens it up and it could be maybe a little bit painful when, when it opens up. Well, that the fact that it was hidden and un, not discovered in the body, it's something that's called epigenetics. So epigenetics is a really cool, um, neat uh, expression of our genes where we actually have certain parts of our genetic code that are turned shut down and not um, read or, or used as much, and then other areas that are amplified and magnified more. And w- when we think of nutrition, we think specifically the epigenetic impact, but also the environmental uh, risk factors we just talked about can alter the epigenetic changes uh, in our body. We've talked about epigenetics also in the concept of um, the development and progression of the lifestyle-related diseases like diabetes and hypertension, heart disease, where you might have a gene that you're at risk for diabetes. But by making healthy choices, you can actually turn off and and slow down the expression of that gene. Well, the same thing can happen with cancer. And it's really powerful to see the effect of healthy lifestyle choices on prostate cancer and breast cancer, as an example. Yes, you're right. We can turn on and turn off genes. And as we say, the genetic loads the gown, but we are the one to pull the trigger. Right, right, Because right. we do see, you know, patients that that's why family history is very important. But once you do have those genes, there, there are still things that you can do about it. Absolutely. And there is another one, like it's one of the most potent cancerogenic data. Lately, we're talking more about it and it's more discovered. And it uh, comes from nutrition, and it's like what we are eating. And it's uh, like a very bad news, but it's called casein. Mm. And casein, 70%, according to the American Cancer Society, 70% of you know the cancers that are coming because of nutrition come from casein. Mm. And casein is where? Casein. In dairy products. In the dairy products. And if you look at all the countries, like top countries in the world that suffer from cancer, uh, one of them, top one, is Australia. This is where dairy comes. Netherlands, mm-hmm. Hungary, Denmark, one of the top. They, they change all the time. Every year they change the rates, but that doesn't matter because most of them are those that produce the most dairy products. There is a direct link with that. Fascinating. So what is a cancer? We already talked about that, and we know that cancer is as Asian as Asian Greece. Uh, Hippocrates is the one that came with this name because it just looks like really? crap. I yes. did not know that. He did because it looks like, uh, you know, the finger stretching the way how it spreads. Okay. He called it like a carcinoma or huh. coming from a cancer. And then Seucus, uh, one of the Roman physicians, he came with this uh, name, hmm. carcinoma or cancer. Yeah. And so this is where it comes from. And apparently it was famous even at that time. Diabetes wasn't as famous because they didn't have refined sugar, I guess, sure. <laughs> at that time. But 
but a cancer was at that time. Was named all the way back to, to a couple thousand years ago. Fascinating. Uh, yes. Uh, so we, we still have the same problem, maybe because of early diagnosis, we kind of see it more common, mm-hmm. but it does affect so many people. It does. You see people on a daily basis that struggle with cancer. I do. And everybody's affected by And unfortunately, I have to break the, the diagnosis of cancer uh, to patients too frequently. That's the best way to describe it. Is that too often we have to bring it up and, and let a patient know that they have contracted cancer. And it's always a difficult conversation to have. I had a patient that I was working in an oncological ward and uh, a doctor just walked in and said, hey, I'm sorry, but you have a thyroid cancer. And then he walked out. And so I apologize to that uh, patient. I'm, I'm so sorry. We have become so hardened with these, those diagnoses. You know, we have to all the time to She's like, don't worry. This is my seventh cancer. Mm. I'm just so accustomed to it. I don't expect people to, to feel bad about myself, you know, to, to feel sorry wow. for myself. This is my seventh cancer. I know I can go through it oh again. Oh, my. Oh, my. So I didn't realize, you know, you think about one cancer, two cancers, but getting to a seven cancers, wow. Mm. Like, how, how do you manage that mentally, mm-hmm, emotionally? Mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. do you go through that? So how do I know if I have a cancer, Dr. Torb? Good question. So there can be a number of um, symptoms the body can manifest with the development of cancer, and it really depends on which organ, which area of the body has the cancer in it. So general kind of symptoms to be watching for and to notify a healthcare professional, physician, uh, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, someone that can start the cancer workup, would be um, excessive fatigue, would be potentially weight loss, would be sweats at night, maybe cough, maybe pain in a certain area of the body. That doesn't go away. It's kind of present kind of persistently and may even be getting worse over time. So those are some of the cardinal symptoms when I have patients come in and they have nondescript symptoms and you know they might have a few risk factors. I'm starting to think, oh, I wonder if cancer needs to be included in our thought pattern. Now, there can be many different causes for those symptoms I just mentioned. I mean, fatigue and weight loss you know, could be caused by just plain and simply not having access to food and and or a high stress environment where you're not eating properly, uh, that that could be factors. So just because you have those symptoms doesn't mean you have cancer. I just want to make it very clear <laughs> that if you have fatigue and a little bit of weight loss, oh no, I've got cancer. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we need to think about that as a possibility. Honestly, the most important step that every listener needs to take is to main keep up with the current cancer screening that is recommended based on your age. Now. There's a saying that says when we go looking for something, we find it. And so we don't, it, there's, an, there's a risk for over-testing, a risk for over-treatment, um, but I'm looking specifically at testing and, and over-diagnosis. So just, you know, I, I have patients come in frequently, doctor, I want a whole scan from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I want to find cancer. I said, well, that, that's... The risks that we take by exposing you to that much radiation, the risks that we take by finding something else and having to go down kind of a, a, a sequence of, of investigations to determine what it is, with all the risks of different procedures and everything else, do not, in the ultimate end, warrant the, those risks. So we, the best is to maintain current guidelines for cancer screening. And I'm going to talk about the three top cancers. So um, colorectal cancer, needing to start screening at age of 50. 
um, breast cancer depending on family risk and personal risk factors. Somewhere, and depending on the on which guideline you look at, between age 40 and 45 to 50. Um, lung cancer, uh, depending on your tobacco use exposure and the time since you quit using smoking, if you've quit smoking, would be starting uh, at the age of 50 and going onwards. So those are the three most common cancers that we screen for routinely in the population, irrespective of specific symptoms. You know, every year you need to be scanned for, or sorry, um, screened for X, Y, and Z. And those are the X, Y, and Z diagnoses we look for. So how do I tell if I have cancer? Well, be watchful and mindful of symptoms that are kind of nonspecific and uh, maybe progressive in nature. And secondly, more importantly, keep up with screenings that would uh, identify early uh, cancerous changes. Yeah, it is important to have the physical exams once a year at least when we can address that and we can do the screening needed. And that's the music, so we're going to go ahead and head on into our break. Uh, We are here at Joy FM. We're doing Total Health Live right now. And if you have a question, um, go ahead and call it in. If you're calling from Guam, call us at 671-472-1111. That's 671-472-1111. In the CNMI, call us at 670-323-1113. 670-323-1113. You can send us a message via text, via WhatsApp, via Signal at 671-686-9999. That's 671-686-9999. It's free from the CNMI. And if you're tuned in via Facebook, go ahead and leave a question in the comment section below or send it to us via Messenger and we'll get back to you. Don't go anywhere. Total Health Live will be right back after the break. We're covering a problem in Sal Belly Park involving a wolf and three pigs. The wolf has already demolished one home. Emergency personnel are on their way. Excuse me, Mr. Wolf. Yes? I noticed you just blew down yet another house in this neighborhood. What's it to you? Our audience wants to know why. Well, you see, my boys are wolf scouts. They tried to sell cookies to these pigs, but they didn't buy. Can you imagine anyone turning down a wolf? That does seem unthinkable. So you decided to demolish their homes. Actually, I just wanted to talk to them. They didn't want to come to the door, and, well, I got angry. Wait, wait, you just want to talk? Anger. We all struggle with it. God's Word says stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. You're telling me! Explore more in Psalm 37.8. Joy FM. Family-friendly radio. JoyFMRadio.net Welcome back. You're listening to Total Health on Joy FM. Call in with your health-related questions to 472-1111 in Guam. If you live in the CNMI, we want to hear from you too. Call 323-1113 or text or WhatsApp us at 686-9999. And now, here's more Total Health. Hi and welcome back to Total Health Live. My name is Rose Trina Eladoc and if you're just joining us today, we're here in the studio with Dr. Jonathan Thorpe, internal medicine specialist and Elena Tanova, nurse practitioner. Today's topic is cancer. Um, right before we went to the break, we were actually talking about some of the signs and symptoms of cancer. 
Yes, and we were also discussing how important it is that uh, we will visit our doctor at least once a year so we can be on top, if we can be on top of our screening, you know, um, um, for different type of cancers. And Dr. Torp, you wanted to mention something. Sure. So I just want to pick up on the comment about the annual physical. So insurance companies, for the most part, I'm not going to speak about every insurance company, but most insurance companies provide an annual physical exam that's part of the benefits of receiving the insurance for the year. And those are really important exams for multiple reasons. One is for making sure you're up to date with age-appropriate cancer screening, but that we also do other recommended screenings for other chronic illnesses and provide counseling around that uh, also. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that free visit with your doctor uh, to be seen and to be evaluated. So let's take a minute to discuss briefly about how we screen for the different common cancers. So for breast cancer, screening is done and performed by what's called a mammogram. And I think that's a fairly common term for most people, but I know that we do have some uh, listeners on some of the outer islands so that the, the access to some of these services may not be as widely available. So I'm going to describe them um, for the listener. So the mammogram is a special type of x-ray uh, that is done at, of the breast tissue. And here's a trick question. Is it only for women or also for men? It's mainly for women. Mainly for women. So men do have to get mammograms occasionally. Um, if there's lumps in the breast that we feel, then we may consider sending uh, a man for a mammogram also. So um, the, basically what happens is that the, the x-ray machine squeezes the breast tissue and then there's a x-ray that's taken around the edge of the breast um, and looking at different angles. And then the radiologist, the doctor specializing in reading those images, looks at it to find if there's anything that looks abnormal. And there's a, it's a multi-step process and this is where it's sometimes confusing because the first one is a basic screening mam uh, mammogram and I'm talking about the most commonly available technology in the community. There's some that don't require the multi-step process, but mostly they require a screening mammogram. And if there's an area of concern that we have to take a look at specifically, then we call back a patient for a follow-up study uh, called a spot magnification study. So we'll look at one area and look at it from different angles once again um, to better characterize what we're seeing. And at times an ultrasound is also necessary to further characterize and look at what that is. So it's really important to take these step by step. I always remind my patients, just because we have to send you back for a follow-up image, it does not mean that you have cancer. Um, this is the whole point of screening for cancers that we catch and we find areas of concern early so that if there's something that changes over time, we can biopsy it and catch cancer early. And that's why we see patients with cancer living much longer. For example, my dad. So my dad's a cancer survivor. He's now, he just had a scan two days ago. Uh, and thankfully, praise God, it came back negative after seven or eight years of after the initial diagnosis. So he has a, had a very, very rare type of lung cancer that's not caused by smoking and had spread to his liver and so it was an incidental finding. He had virtually he had a few symptoms, but essentially no symptoms. Looking back on it, we found we identified some of the symptoms. Said, "Oh, you know, that's what it was caused by." They took out the uh, section in the um, uh, lung. They took out a, a year later section uh, in the liver, and thankfully he's cancer free. Oh, wow. But we caught that because of early detection, um, and that's where we don't. And, and initially, and I had to remind him of that. Just because we see it there doesn't mean it's cancer. We have to get tissue. 
So if on the ultrasound, if on the um, mammogram there's something of concern, that's when we go in and take a biopsy of it. Then the pathologist, the doctor specializing who looks at the tissue itself will say, normal, abnormal, don't know, check it again. Um, and so those are the three kind of big categories, uh, irrespective of what cancer is, uh, which t- cancer type it is, uh, that the pathologist will comment on. So what am I saying? For females, at least at age 50, possibly at 45, possibly at 40, possibly younger, there's a screening process that needs to begin based on your risk. And that's where it's important to have a discussion with your primary care provider to discuss when screening should commence. Screening is done either on an annual or biannual, meaning once a year or once every other year uh, with a mammogram as the first step. So that's breast cancer. The second type of cancer we're going to talk about just briefly is colorectal cancer. So I'm talking about for the general average population. I'm not talking about specifics that are maybe at higher risk for colorectal cancer. There are a couple different categories, but for the general population, we begin screening at age 50. And um, signs of colon cancer can include a dark, dark kind of coffee granular look. So kind of that black granular look in in the stool or bright red blood or absolutely nothing. And that's where if we catch it early, we hopefully see absolutely nothing. And screening can be done by two different, well, basically two big categories. One is we go in and take a look, and we look with what's called a colonoscopy, which is a small little camera on a flexible wire, basically, that then goes up through uh, the colon. So patients are um, given some medicine to make them feel a little sleepy. They're placed on the examination table on the side. And then through uh, the anus, through the bottom, um, we take and we put the camera up inside through the anus, through the rectum, and then through the entire colon, colon to look for any abnormal growth. And what we're looking for is little tiny, what we call polyps. If we see something, we'll clip it off send it to the pathologist and they take a read. If we see a mass, we'll take biopsies and send it for a read. So that's the direct visualization route. Now, most patients cannot stand doing a colonoscopy. I don't know how many times I've had people complain to me, I can't stand the preparation for colonoscopy. And I sympathize with them. I haven't had to do it, but I've had family members have to do it. It's a terrible experience. So I've got a good, good news for you. For most patients, we can screen with a non-invasive test uh, by taking a small sample of stool. It's very simple to do. We send a kit home. There's a little tissue paper that's in the packet. You unfold it. You put it across the toilet. You collect a sample of stool. You take a little tiny poker. You poke the stool six, seven, eight, nine times. Put the poker back inside the little tube. Screw it tight. Put it in an envelope and bring it back to the lab. You're done. You don't have to worry about going through a big prep or anything else. If you're taking iron tablets, if you eat uh, animal products and there's a little bit of blood in it, the, the test is able to distinguish between those two, so it's specifically for your blood, and there's no evidence of, um, uh, looking for evidence of uh, blood in the stool. So the two big categories for cancer screening for colorectal cancer is a direct look with a camera or a stool test. I recommend the stool test once a year. It's a painless procedure. You end up going to the bathroom usually once a day. All it takes is an extra minute, check, and you're good to go for another 12 months. I strongly recommend if you've not been screened and you're after over the age of 50 to please talk to your primary care provider about getting screened for colorectal cancer. Now, I've shared a lot of information about two cancers. Are you ready for a third one or do you have a few questions? 
Uh, no, the colorectal cancer, actually, it's a kind of a slow growing. So we are doing that every 10 years unless we have to do it more frequently. And so if we eliminate some of the polyps, um, you know, we have a kind of a good prognosis. Correct. So every 10 years would be the screening interval for either um, no polyps at all or a benign polyps. But if there is abnormal polyps, then it's either every five years or every three years, depending on the person's risk uh, for it. And sometimes even more frequent, depending on the number of polyps uh, that are found. So um, that's really technical. We won't get into that. But the point is that you may have to come back earlier if you have done a colonoscopy. Um, if you've obtained a stool sample as a screening mechanism, if it's negative, you're good to go for another 12 months. If there is blood on it, then you take we go to the second step, which is then the colorectal cancer screening with a colonoscopy. And there's other ways around it, including CT scan that we can consider using also if necessary. Yeah, you already started talking about... So the, the um, colorectal cancer is, is one uh, other category. And then the third category I wanted to talk about was lung cancer. So lung cancer screening... Um, uh, it, it depends on your how much you smoked and if you've quit smoking or if you're an ongoing smoker. So the uh, United States Preventive Services Task Force guideline recommends that we start screening at the age of 50. That's a recent recommendation. Previously was 55, but we start screening at the age of 50 for those who've had an extensive smoking history. Um, and by extensive, we mean those who've smoken, uh, sorry, smoked more than 30 pack years um, uh, of tobacco use. And what that means is that if you take a pack of cigarettes and you smoke on average one pack of cigarettes per day, and you've done it for 30 uh, years, then uh, you'd be uh, at risk for needing to be screened for. Um, so that is the, uh, and that starts at the age of 50. I'm sorry, 20 pack years is the number. I, I misspoke there. So 20 pack years uh, of smoking um, and who have not, of uh, are currently smoking or have uh, uh, quit more uh, within the last 15 years. So if you've quit more than 15 years ago, then there's no need uh, for cancer screening. If it's less than 15 years and you've smoked, either currently smoking or you've smoked for more than 20 pack years, then there's need for screening. And the screening is very um, easy to do. It's uh, performed uh, through a, what's called a low-dose uh, CT scan. Basically, you go to the radiology center and uh, you lay down on a bed and there's a big donut, a big circle that you go sliding through. And um, when you, as you slide through it, uh, it takes some pictures of the lungs. And the radiologist then takes and looks at those lung pictures and says, yep, normal, normal, normal. Or I found a, uh, a nodule. And if a nodule is there, then we may have to do a biopsy of the nodule to find out what the tissue is showing. So the biopsy of the of the uh, lung is a very relatively easy uh, procedure to do. It's done with a needle uh, guided by a CT scan, and we find uh, the location that needs to be uh, clicked in. Sorry for the extra noise here. We had a microphone quit, and that's why you don't hear Elena talking. You just hear me talking in the background. So I think we're back on. Elena, are we back on? Um, I hear I you. So, yeah. Yay. Yes, okay, good. Um, so the, uh, again, if you smoke more than one pack per day for for a 20-year period of time, you're currently smoking or you've quit within the last 15 years, then you need to start screening at age 50 and onwards for lung cancer. And uh, early cancer detection saves lives. So we don't like to hear the diagnosis of cancer, 
but we do like to hear it early. If we're going to have it, I want to hear about it early. I want to deal with it. As a good friend, a good physician friend of mine says, there's some tissue in our body that only belongs on the shelf of a, in a pathologist's office. <laughs> Not in your body, but in a shelf, in a specimen container, in a pathologist's office. So if we're going to deal with it, we might as well catch it early and address it early. And that's the music. So we're going to go ahead and head on into our last break of the day. If you have a question and you want to go ahead and ask us um, on Guam, you can give us a call at 671-472-1111. That's 671-472-1111 on Guam. In the CNMI, call us at 670-323-1113. That's 670-323-1113. Send us a text uh, via text, via WhatsApp, via Signal at 671-686-9999. That's 671-686-9999. It's free from the CNMI. And if you're tuned in on Facebook, go ahead and leave a message in the comment section below or send it to us via Messenger and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Don't go anywhere. Total Health Live. We'll be right back after the break. We're almost done with today's message. So, um... Just stay tuned. Joy FM. Joy FM. With another word made fresh. Proverbs 10:12. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. You were never there for me. Get off my back. Someday. I will get even. Extreme justice can be harsh and unyielding. A wrong done can never seem to be righted. Fairness demands answers that can't be given. Hatred stirs up dissension. Love believes relationship is more important than revenge. Forgiveness is the bridge that brings warring family members back together. You were never there for me. I know. I'm here now. Just get off my back. Maybe I've been a bit harsh, but we really do need to talk, son. Love covers all wrongs. Healing begins with two simple words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Another word made fresh from Joy FM. Family-friendly radio, joyfmradio.net. And we're back with more Total Health. Give us a call with your medical questions. Number to call in Guam is 472-1111. If you're in the seat of mind, the number to call is 323-1113. Or you can text or WhatsApp us at 686-9999. Now back to the program. Hi and welcome back to Total Health Live. My name is Rose Trina and we're in the studio today with Dr. Jonathan Thorpe and Elena Tanova. Uh, we're talking about cancer today, and we don't have that much time left, so we're going to just jump right into the program. Thank you. And I want to just uh, continue on with the cancer screening of another two important cancers because it's, the prevalence is very high, uh, meaning that they occur very uh, high in, in Micronesia. So one is um, cervical cancer and one is endometrial cancer. So cervical cancer, these are women-related cancers. So cervical cancer is of the cervix. Uh, and we screen with that by performing what's called a pap smear. And so the pap smear normally is done every three years. Um, and uh, usually up until the age of 65, assuming you've had normal pap smears in the past. So that's uh, one that we perform for on a population level for all females. Um, the procedure is relatively 
um, pain less. Uh, you come into the physician's or the uh, provider's office and uh, you're set up for the exam. We take a small little brush and we brush the edge of the cervix and then we're done. It's painless, completely painless. Now, uh, the other cancer I just mentioned is endometrial cancer. We see a lot of endometrial cancer, which is a type of uterine cancer. And that one of the big hallmark signs, it's really, really, really important for women to watch out for, is bleeding after they've gone through menopause. So menopause is the end of kind of the regular, you know, that monthly uh, flow, the blood monthly uh, bleeding period. But after that's res- uh, ended, usually around the age of 50, if you ever have any bleeding afterwards, even one or two spots of blood, you need to be assessed for possible endometrial cancer. Um, and so that's performed, that's uh, assessed by performing a biopsy and an ultrasound. We won't get into all the details because uh, it's not as common. But the, the four that I really wanted to mention was the colorectal cancer, the breast cancer, the cervical cancer, and the lung cancer. Now, I think you had some other questions related to what do we do once we had a diagnosis, right? Yes, is that what your right. next question is? I mean, screening is uh, very important, but once we catch it, even on time, what do we do with that? Great question. The key is that we, we don't ignore it, okay? I, what I don't like, um, what I, what's most challenging is when people say, oh, I have cancer, I'm not going to deal with it. You know, I'm just going to put underneath, I'm going to sweep it underneath the rug. We have so many different options for cancer therapy now. It is amazing the different treatment options that are available that we have now, even compared to five years ago, compared to two years ago, compared to 10 years ago. The number of different treatment options we have and the outcomes we have for cancer is phenomenal. I mean, we have immunotherapy, we have radiotherapy, we have chemotherapy, all these different treatment modalities that can attack cancer from a different angle. And um, the cancer data, the, how we treat these cancers is so well developed. We know very well that once we have this type of cancer, we need to do this, this, and this, and we have the uh, potential for good treatment outcome. Cancer is now shifting from the kind of the state of like, I have cancer, I'm going to die with cancer versus I, I'm not going to live with cancer. It's going to be kept controlled for long periods of time. Um, and um, it then uh, you end up dying from some other cause. Um, so that's how good the therapies are coming. So when you have cancer, it's important you follow up with your primary care doctor obtain a referral to an oncologist, a specialist that specializes in the treatment of cancer, and they tend to manage and oversee the overall treatment program. So whether or not you need um, radiation or uh, surgery or chemotherapy, immunotherapy, the oncologist is somewhat kind of the um, the conductor, if you want to use that term, the conductor for the orchestra, conductor for the symphony, conductor for the music group, um, is the coordinator, is the fire chief. He tells everyone to go this way or that way. That's the role, one of the many roles of the oncologist. So um, the following up, establishing care, not ignoring it, beginning treatment in an expeditious manner is important uh, so we can get treatment under control. And what about if we have a terminal cancer, like the oncologist is not actually giving us any hope? Good question. So there are overwhelming cancers that are very rapidly progressing that we don't have treatment for. And the the key thing is that we still have options for you. Um, we we will always treat symptoms. We will always treat the emotional needs. We will also always treat the physical suffering and the mental suffering that comes along with it. And dying with cancer is something that no one wants to go through. But it's a reality. We are all going to die from cancer someday. You know what that cancer is called? 
the cancer of sin. That's a reminder. We all die from cancer, the cancer of sin, the effect of sin on our lives. But um, we can, from a strictly medical perspective, there are so many things that we can do to help patients in the time of suffering. But one thing I would say, irrespective of having a diagnosis of cancer today or not, I encourage every patient, regardless of their age, to think about five key wishes. And they're called the five wishes. One is, what would you want to have done in the event that you could not make medical decisions for yourself? Would you want, you know, aggressive treatments like starting your heart again, breathing tubes, etc.? Who would make decisions for you? How would you deal with pain? How, um, what's things you want your loved ones to know? Those are key questions you can ask. And having a medical decision maker appointed for you is important, irrespective of your age. Because, look, I could be driving down the road and get hit in a vehicle accident, and I can't make a decision for myself. My brother is a surgeon. He's the one that's appointed for me to be my medical decision maker if both my wife and I are um, harmed in an accident or and I can't make a decision. And I told him, look at brother, if I don't have a good chance of coming out, just let me go to sleep. I don't want to be I don't want to be a vegetable for the rest of my life. Just let me go to sleep because I have the hope of the resurrection and I am not fearful of death. I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. And so having someone know what your wishes are knowing what your worldview is so that you can have that person advocate for you with your healthcare professional team is vitally important um, in the in the event that you are diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then also getting your other affairs in order, making sure that the financial, the making sure the legal aspects are taken care of, having a financial power of attorney, have a legal power of attorney where someone can make those decisions and help make decisions for you. It's all important and for us to consider in the event that you have a cancer diagnosis and particularly if you have a, a terminal cancer diagnosis. You know, Dr. Tor, we are like all the time looking for ways of curing cancer. Sometimes, you know, I'm just wondering, do we have to re- really look for a way of curing it or should we just look for the causing, the, the causes of cancer? Right. And that kind of comes back to the very beginning of our discussion where we talked about what are some of the causes. And in general, as we've said many times on Total Health, that we have the choice of what passes our front teeth every day. And frankly, that's one of the most important decisions that we will make. What passes our front teeth? Is it a cigarette stick? Is it a cup of liquor? Is it unhealthy foods? Is it healthy foods, plant-based food? We, God created us in a garden. He gave us a garden to take care of and manage. And in that garden, there was plants of different types, different seeds, different herbs, Fruits, vegetables, those are the types of food that God designed us to eat. And when we look at different examples, the oldest scientific study of mankind is that we have recorded at least, from my understanding, is this is the um, story in Daniel chapter 1 talking about the, uh, the wise men of Daniel and his three friends and how they made choices, conscious decision to eat healthy foods compared to their friends who ate unhealthy foods. And they came out what's called 10 times wiser. Now, was it actually 10 times? Was it nine times? Was it 12 times? I don't know. But the figure of speech is that there was 10 times wiser. So we can make choices by what we put in our body that have a direct input impact on what uh, the impact is in the future. Breast cancer, just very, very briefly, breast cancer for those who are physically active and eating a plant-predominant diet are more than two times likely to survive 
Um, so a 50% reduction in mortality, irrespective of your weight, by having a healthy lifestyle at the time of diagnosis um, for of cancer and or developing uh, and adopting a healthy lifestyle. Similar for prostate cancer, those who are undergoing active surveillance for uh, prostate cancer by um, follow-up repeated ultrasounds and biopsies rather than chemotherapy. Those who are eating a plant-predominant um, diet are and and have a, a um, stress management, exercise management, and group support, kind of a comprehensive look at the lifestyle, are have a much lower risk for the progression of the prostate cancer requiring treatment. That, and I could cite the specific studies that I just alluded to here uh, saying it. So our choices of what we put past our front teeth, whether it be a harmful substance or a good healthy nutrition, most definitely impacts our likelihood of cancer and our likelihood of surviving if we are diagnosed with cancer. And I want to say in the last minute that it's equally important that we recognize that God has blessed humanity with wisdom and knowledge, and that includes the development of immunotherapy and chemotherapy for treatment of these cancers because we live in an imperfect world. Our bodies do develop cancer, and we have to use the tools available. So nutrition is important, but equally important is the utilization appropriately of the uh, different therapies available for the treatment of cancer. And we should not forget that God also has a way of restoring us. Sometimes we say, I overcame cancer. God helped you to overcome cancer. Um, in uh, Psalms 139, uh, 13 to 16, the verse says, For you formed me, God, inward." my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And it is so amazing that God even had put a mechanism in us to regenerate us, to restore us on a daily basis. And that's why, you know, it's important to eat your vegetables, as your mom is saying, <laughs> because <laughs> they have anti-cancerous properties, antioxidants. And uh, even if we have damaged cells every day, God has a way of restoring us. At our table every morning we eat, uh, I, I, I have a bag of ground up flax seeds. And I always tell my, my boys, do you want some superfood on your food? And they're like, yeah, give me some superfood. So they get a big tablespoon of flaxseed on their oats every morning, and they get so excited from the superfood. So yes, we have some amazing foods that can help prevent and reverse chronic disease. And I'm thankful uh, for the gifts that we have in that way. Thank you, Dr. Thorpe. And thank you, Elena, as well. Thank you also to all our listeners um, today. Thank you for listening to Total Health Live. If you like Total Health Live and you want to hear more of this, you can always tune in again um, next week, Wednesday, from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Be sure to check with your doctors before making any sudden life changes discussed today. Total Health is brought to you in partnership with Guam Seven-Day Adventist Clinic, where health is their mission. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday. Thank you and Sejuus Masi for listening to Total Health right here on Joy FM.